0: Well, this is our second to the last week in, our, in the Sermon on the Mount in our series, and it's, this is Jesus' great declaration of his kingdom. In it, he's saying, this is who I am. A lot of people like to paint different pictures of Jesus. You guys seen that, that famous clip from you know, the Ricky Bobby where he's like, you know, I like the baby Jesus. It's funny but it's not really. We like to paint Jesus in the ways that, that we are comfortable with him. But it's in this sermon and throughout scripture, obviously, but it's this sermon that Jesus himself is declaring, this is who I am. And this is what my kingdom is like. And he declares the amazingly good news that his kingdom is breaking into this world. Do you hear that? This world can be scary, can't it? This world can be dark. This world can be hard. Life can be hard. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of problems in this world. And yet Jesus, whenever he showed up, when the son of God showed up in human flesh, something was happening. The king has come to earth. You hear that? The king has come to earth and his kingdom is breaking in to this world kingdom. His kingdom has come it is breaking in and he is coming again and the fullness of his kingdom shall come. Do you hear that? That's the message of the kingdom of Jesus. That he has come, his kingdom is breaking into this world of darkness, and he will come again, and his kingdom will come in its fullness. It's a kingdom of justice and righteousness. It's a kingdom for the weak and for the poor. Is that you here this morning? Maybe you're here and you're like, look, I I play a good game, I talk a good game, inside I really know I am weak and I'm poor I look okay from the outside but nobody knows what a fraud I am or you don't know what deep sadness and darkness I'm dealing with today you don't know my story you don't know what I'm going through and Jesus says my kingdom is for the weak It's for the poor And I will come, he says, and I will make all things new. I will remake all that is wrong and I will wipe away every tear from every eye. And then as he's finishing the sermon, he gives this passage that we that we just read together. And he gives us a warning. And the warning is a double warning for all of us who are here today. One, because we are in the South today. And even though there are fewer and fewer people who uh, attend church regularly or profess Christianity, it's still a big part of our culture. Some people call it the Christ-haunted South. Just think about how many churches you passed on your way here today. Think of how many Christian decals you see on the back of the cars that are cutting in front of you on 501 or 17 every week. And think about this. If there were that many Jesus people walking and driving around our community, shouldn't our community look a lot more like the kingdom that Jesus is describing in the sermon? Shouldn't our community look a lot more like a place that is welcoming to those who are despised and those who are weak? Shouldn't it look a lot more like people who are caring for and looking out for people the way that Jesus did and Jesus does? Why doesn't it? This warning applies doubly to every one of us who are here today. Because you are here. And whether you attend church regularly, every week... You come out here or you just or whether you're just kind of visiting or checking things out, you took time out of your weekend to get up early on a Sunday morning and come here. And that means that church means something to you, or you want to see if it does. And whatever reason you're here, you're here. to check out church, to check out Jesus. And he comes with a warning addressing every single one of us. And he says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But Jesus starts off and he says, he declares there's a big difference between the false and the true. Now, this is one of the most sobering things that Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Did you hear that? It makes some of us shudder, doesn't it? It should. To some of us, it brings fear. Some of us are in here and it doesn't really bother all. You're like, when's lunch? But first, I just want to say this before we move on. These aren't scare tactics of Jesus. They're not scare tactics of me that I'm trying to manipulate the audience today by bringing in fear. Jesus doesn't work through fear and manipulation. But these are sobering words. And they should affect us. In fact, if you're one of those this morning who's wondering where lunch is and you're not affected, they're probably most important to you today. This message from Jesus this morning could save your life. Jesus tells us that there are those who carry his name who aren't the real thing, he says. There are those who carry my name who aren't the real thing. They are false disciples and false teachers. False teachers and false disciples. And he tells us that there's a stark difference between the real and between the, the false and that the stakes are enormous. Jesus says that the world is divided. And he is the dividing line. The dividing, the dividing line between the world is not between Republican and Democrat or Southern or Northern or Clemson or South Carolina or vinegar-based barbecue or mustard-based barbecue. The line that is drawn in society is between those who are of Jesus for real and those who are not. The biggest question you will ever face, any human being on the face of the world will ever face, is what are you going to do with Jesus? How will you respond to his life and to his lordship? That's the biggest questions you'll ever face. In other words, what are you going to do with Jesus personally? Jesus isn't warning those, this is an interesting part of this passage, is though that Jesus, as soon as you're sitting here, and you're like, remember the warnings earlier? Just because you're here, hey, I got up early this morning, I'm in church, I'm a Christian, or I've been a Christian a long time, I've been baptized, I grew up, look, talk to my mom and dad, or look at my history, look at my Bible memorization. The thing is that Jesus isn't warning those who have no religious interest or activity. Jesus is specifically warning against those who teach in his name and against those who do many things in his name. He's telling us to beware of counterfeit faith. Now, there are two groups that are involved in counterfeiting. There are the counterfeiters and there are the dupes who accept the counterfeit money, right? There's the counterfeiters and the dupes who accept the counterfeit currency. And Jesus said the same thing is true in faith. There are those who peddle a false Jesus. And there are those who put their faith in a false Jesus. There are the deceivers. And there are the self deceived And here's what is the case. Jesus is not a concept. He's not a construction of man. Christianity is not simply a religion that you can choose that one or this one. Jesus Christ is the living Lord of all. And his warning is clear and it's stark. This is how he will respond to those who have faith in an imposter Jesus. I never knew. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Why does Jesus offer such a serious warning to us this morning? Because the stakes are big and real. Did you hear that in the passage? He says the false prophet deceives while claiming to speak for God. And the fruitless tree is meant for the fire and the false disciple is banished from God's presence. Did you hear the stakes? How seriously do you think Jesus takes it when somebody speaks claiming to speak for him, but they speak something else. He says the fruitless tree is meant for the fire. The false disciple is banished from God's presence forever. This concerns your final destiny. Will you enjoy eternal union and fellowship with God, or will you be separated with him from him forever? And Jesus warns us it can be difficult to tell the difference between the false and the true. Not only is it there a big difference between the false and the true, but he says, here's what's tricky is it can be difficult to tell the difference between the two. He's telling us we can be easily deceived by false prophets and false teachers. Did you hear that? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He tells us false, false prophets come to us wearing sheep's clothing. Now, what that means is that Jesus, first of all, he's describing us as sheep. And that's not always like a, a compliment because sheep aren't very smart. And if you've been around them, they're kind of smelly. They're not like we love their wool, but they're not they're not super appealing animals in their own. And he's describing us as sheep, and he says a a ferocious wolf will come in and take on a disguise to look like he's one of the sheep so that he can get close enough to attack them easily. Can you imagine how easy it would be for a wolf to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner if no sheep ever suspects that he's around? If he looks and smells and acts like a sheep. But all of a sudden, the the flock starts to, to thin one by one. Where's... Where's Betty? Where's Robert's? Wasn't he just here? He's like, no, I going to feed him. Picking his teeth. The whole flock is his for his easy picking. Even if they notice they're missing, it's sneaky and it's vicious. And Jesus says, we are easily fooled like sheep in that scenario. The fact that Jesus tells us that the false prophets come in with disguise tells us something that they fool us and that we are easily fooled. What is it that fools us about false prophets and false teachers, these ravenous wolves that come in dressed like sheep? Number one it's that they have the appearance of the real thing. Whatever you think a a teacher, a pastor, a prophet should look like, that's what they look like with their impersonators. They don't ever announce, hey, I'm in it for the money. They never tell you I'm in this for the fame. They never tell you I'm in this because I thought this was a pretty easy life to be a pastor They don't tell you up front, I'm here because I like power and I like to control others. And whether it's a small church or a big church, if you get off on power and controlling others and you're a vicious, ravenous wolf, you can have a heyday among the flock. They have the appearance of the real thing. And they have a flock that follows them. Look at all the sheep that follows them. They must be legit, this teacher. We forget that true teachers, true prophets, are rarely very popular, or at least not the way that we think about popularity. They're rarely popular with the world. They're rarely the cool guy or lady that everybody wants to be around. They're, they look a lot like Jesus. Those who are drawn to Jesus are drawn to the true leaders and teachers. But those that aren't have no time for them. True godly leaders are faithful to Jesus. It's not about them. It's about him. They want Jesus's name to be glorified. They're interested in his renown and not theirs. But these that Jesus is describing here are false teachers. They are predators. They're always leeching from those that follow them. They take from them for themselves. They easily fool us because what they say makes sense. This is what it means to have your ears tickled. You don't realize it at the time. How many of you guys ever think, like, you watch ads and you think, no ad ever works on me. And then you turn around and you buy the thing that was just advertised. We think it doesn't work on us. We go, into, we go into a sales pitch with a salesman and we know, I am going to go in here and I am not go- I'm not going to buy this timeshare. I'm going to sit in here and I'm going to get this free weekend. And the next thing you know, you're signing papers and you're like, you're convinced this was my idea all the time. That's what salesmen do. They tickle our ears so in a, such a way that you don't even realize that's what's happening and that's what false teachers do. What they say makes sense. You don't realize at the time because it sounds so very true, true, and it's so very appealing. He says not only do they look like sheep, but they bear confusing fruit. Have you ever been under a leader who consistently didn't act like Jesus yet did so in his name? It can be incredibly confusing and disorienting. It can bring doubt about the reality of God because it undermines Jesus teaching. They may quote, teach the Bible, but their character and life doesn't look like Jesus. They aren't humble and gracious and loving and forgiving. And if they aren't humble and gracious and loving and forgiving, I don't care what they claim to be teaching from the Bible, they are false prophets or false teachers. It doesn't matter how many books they've written or how many podcast subscribers they have, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It'll be thrown into the fire. It's confusing because false false prophets speak words that are based in truth. Why does Jesus use the term prophets here? He's meaning any kind of teacher or minister, and he's highlighting how they abuse and twist his words, and that has disastrous effects, and he's telling us it's highly offensive to him. But not only can we be deceived by false prophets and false teachers, he tells us in verse 21 through 23 that we can easily deceive ourselves. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Who's Jesus warning here? He's warning us. He's warning the Orthodox, those who believe rightly. When these people in this passage say "Lord, Lord," it's a, they're, they're pronouncing a proper belief in Jesus. It's true; He is Lord. And for somebody to say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus or about Jesus is miles and miles beyond what most people believe. But somehow, Jesus says it isn't enough here. You hear that? They say, Lord, Lord, but he says, I don't even know who you are. Now, we have to consider what he's saying here because that can be kind of confusing, right? Because we have other teachings from, like, in the scripture like this from Paul, Romans 10, 9 through 10, you may have Memorize this these two verses because if you confess with your mouth, hear that, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, hear that? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And also this in first Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, hear this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, first of all, we have to confess that Jesus is Lord. We have to do that. There's no way into the kingdom apart from saying Jesus is Lord. And Paul says you can't even do that apart from the Holy Spirit. So what is he saying? Is he saying no one can say the words Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit? He's saying what he's describing is the new birth. When God's Spirit breathes within you faith and you confess from your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. So then what about these people who call Jesus Lord, Lord, but aren't a part of his kingdom? What does that mean? What's he saying? Well, these are people who call him Lord. They know the proper titles for him. They believe rightly, but their heart is no different from the demons in hell who were told also believe that Jesus is Lord. They know his proper titles too. But until he is your Lord, it means nothing to say that he is. Until he is your Lord, it means nothing to say that he is. It has to come. From your heart. And that can't happen apart from repentance and a heart change caused by the Spirit of God within you. He says, He gives a warning to the Orthodox who know and believe rightly, and He gives a warning to the reverential. Do you hear that? How they notice how they address Jesus? They call him Lord or Master. They treat matters of religion with respect, they show honor. It's God. Family, country, right? But it's not enough. They showed honor, but Jesus says, I don't know who you are. He warns the Orthodox who believe rightly. He believe, he warns the reverential and he warns the fervent workers. These are those who studious, who are studiously religious. They're at every church event. They perform all the duties. They do good works. They have a religious resume that would be incredibly impressive. In fact, they quote their resume to Jesus. Well, they stand before him doing, look at my resume, Jesus. Look at all that I have done. Look at all the things I did in your name. But Jesus says, I don't know you. He warns the public believer. Notice there are people, these are people who aren't, who don't hide their so-called faith. They are public with it. I think the text implies that they are very public with it. They want people to know that they are a quote Christian. Jesus, look at the mighty works I've done in your name. Check my Instagram feed. See how impressive it is. See our crowds. See our buildings. See what we have done in your name. These people have amazing spiritual experiences on the resume. They have impressive public works on their resume. But in the end, it rings hollow. It rings hollow because they find out that Jesus Himself tests the false and the true. Jesus tells us that the false prophets will be shown by their fruit. See, a wolf can disguise himself for a while, he can don the appearance, but a tree can't pretend for very long. You can you can tape some cherries to a pear tree, but eventually it's going to show you what kind of tree it is. You can paste some apricots to an apple tree, but eventually it's going to show, yourself, show you who it, what it really is. Jesus says, false prophets will be shown by their fruit. And this is what Jesus says, I will deal with them personally that's how serious Jesus takes when you use his name for your words and when you bend what he has said to fit what you want to say he says I will deal with it personally and that tree is good for nothing except to be thrown into the fire But he also says that we should be looking at the fruit. What kind of fruit should we be looking for? If it's not in crowds, and by the way, we're pro crowds. If it's not in buildings, by the way, we are pro buildings. What kind of fruit should we be looking for? Galatians five twenty two and twenty three. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. You want to describing describing the character of Jesus. We should be looking for the fruit or the characteristics, the nature of Jesus, not only in the leaders, but in the people that they produce. If a leader or a church is preaching or teaching any message, no matter how much they claim it is from scripture, but it's not producing people who look like Jesus, who are loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and have self-control, if it's not producing that, then there is not fruit that Jesus is looking for. And where we mess up so often is so often no one is ever close enough to, to the leader to see their true fruit. Because the leader may isolate themselves. They don't want want people to be around to see who they really are. Or because we follow them from afar, because we would rather be fans than followers of Jesus. I'd rather be a fan of this preacher or this leader or this church rather than being a follower of Jesus. We're more like fans than a flock. We mess up because we value results over fruit. This is huge in our society. If you produce results, then you must be true. If you gather a crowd, if you give a good talk, If you build a good team, if you're a good leader, then you must be true. If you get the results that we want, if you make us more popular or more powerful as a church, then you must be true or true enough. We'll just take true enough. We mess up because we desperately want these leaders to be true or real. We make allowances. That's why Jesus elaborates on, you notice how much time he spent on telling us about how a bad tree can't bear good fruit and a good tree can't bear good fruit. And he gives us specific examples about thorns and he, like, like Jesus, that's a lot. Like, why are you telling us so much? Like we get it. He's telling us because, because we will make allowances for the false prophets, the false teachers. We are fooled and we fool ourselves Jesus says not only that about the true teacher or how he will deal with the faults by showing us their fruit and that he will deal with them personally, but he says that the true disciple will obey the father. Did you see that? He says, this is how It landed. Um, uh-huh. I got a handheld now, we're in it for it now. Like get a little Pentecostal up in here. That might be good for us. He says the true disciple will obey the father. The profession of Jesus and the works done in his name Account for nothing in this scenario. All the, all that they can point to, all their history, all their background, all their religious resume that they can point to, it doesn't account anything. Oh, I'm good in my hand right now, but thank you. Because they do not follow him. They did not submit to him. They did not obey him with their life. Did you hear that? They have an impressive resume to put down on paper, but they did not follow Jesus from their heart. They did not submit to him from their soul. They did not obey him with their life. And that's why Jesus says, I never knew you because you never knew me. I'm not throwing you out. He's not throwing out people who are trying to know him. He's throwing out people who accepted things around Jesus but did not want to submit to him personally. They did not want to bow their knee and their heart to him. They wanted to call him Lord with their mouth, but they did not want to make him Lord in their hearts and in their lives. They talked about him. They made big statements about him and how they knew him, but they were addicted to grand gestures and spectacles. They loved the idea of Jesus. They loved the Jesus concerts. They loved the Jesus TED Talks. They loved the Jesus gatherings. But what they did not like is actually submitting personally to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They wanted to be a part of his entourage, but not a servant in his kingdom. You know what an entourage does? they leech off the rich guy they leech off the famous guy you get something out of that scenario but jesus is not someone we get to be in part of his entourage he is the king of kings and the lord of lords they thought he was a lord to be used rather than to be served You notice how Jesus references the Father here? He said, those that obey my Father. You know why he references the Father here? I believe he references the Father here because he points us to the relationship that we have with God through Jesus. And that is that a father to child. We sang about it earlier. Jesus, God redeemed us so he could call us his children and we could call him father. A true disciple will be one who loves the father from the heart and therefore wants to obey him. Why? Why do, why would anyone want to love the father and obey him? Not just Know that he deserves it, but wants to obey him from the heart. Why would anyone want to do that? Because he loves you so very much that he sent his son, the eternal son of God, taking on flesh, humbling himself as a baby, living the life of a peasant dying a death for your sins and my sin and being raised again to glory that is how much he loves you he loves you so much that not only that but he came after you personally and he came to save you he didn't just save humanity in general he came to save you He came to win you. And whenever you were running hard away from him, he did whatever he had to do. He set whatever traps in place, whatever people in place, whatever suggestions in place in order to pull you and draw you back to him. That's how much he loves you. And when you see the love of Jesus for you, then that causes you to love him and to love his father that sent him. And to submit and to give him everything. Look, Jesus isn't asking you for your best. He's not asking you for part of your life. He isn't asking you for just a tithe. He is asking you, that he is calling you to submit to him completely and totally. Everything that you are and everything that you have. That's why the rich young ruler went away from Jesus sorrowful because Jesus said, go and sell all that you have. Is that his command to you? I'm not saying this is command to you today, but it is his, this is his call, everything you are and everything that you have because I am, he says, I am worth it. And that's why Jesus says, those who are mine, will follow me because they will know my voice because they love me because i love them how do we know who those who are who are sheep and who aren't well really we don't it's jesus's job Jesus told us a parable in Matthew 11 about the wheat and the weeds and how the the weeds grew up in the middle of the wheat. And the workers said to the the boss, hey, you want us to go out there and tear up those weeds? He said, no, I'll take care of that at the end. But here's what we can do. We can preach and teach Jesus' word. We, through believers, can can. Dive into his word and into his nature, into his character. We can call out to him in prayer so that we know his voice and we will not be fooled by false teachers and preachers and prophets. And we will not fool ourselves by thinking we can just point to some resume or things that we've done. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? <laughs> What do you know about him? Do you know him? Does he know you this morning? Is there loving submission flowing from your soul to Christ? He died for your sins. He is dead for you. He is risen for your life. He is risen for you. If you're this morning, if you are not a believer in Christ, let this be the morning. Break free from the religious resume that you are clinging to or the non-religious resume. You are like, hey, I don't have anything. I'm just just here. I'm not one of those guys. But you still need to submit to him today. If you're a believer in Christ, this morning... As we partake of communion and we sing together of his goodness and his greatness, as we pray together, call out to him to renew his love from him to you, to your soul, that you would hear his voice and follow him. And maybe you'll hear something this morning where he's challenging you or he's calling you to something, to do something to repent of something, to change something. Don't fight that this morning. Listen to your Lord and Savior. You'll never regret it. I'm going to pray. We're going to open up communion. There'll be a station on each side, one on each side. If you're a believer in Christ, come as you see fit. Uh, So they come forth and offer you the bread and the juice. I'll uh, hand it to you. You can head back to your seat from the outside in. Again, if that's, this morning, this meal is for those of us who are believers in Christ. Wherever you call church home, this is his family breaking bread together. Father, we thank you for the truth that you came for us, that you rescued us, that your kingdom is breaking into this world, God, break into our hearts and lives. Break our hearts this morning. Let us see and savor the love of Jesus Christ for us. And if anyone's here who is not a believer, let this be today. That they bow their knee to you and experience true life. In the name of Jesus, we pray.